but I got, you know, it's like uh, the guy, it's like Lamont and Raging Bull. I got no choice. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right, you don't want to talk about the frustration publicly, so let's go on to, um, uh, I'll just read you the uh, opening line that I just tapped this out. I didn't even think about it. I didn't even edit it, really. Are you going to tell me that if your son or daughter has been kidnapped and is being held in some secret, all but impossible to discover location and might possibly be killed if you don't find him or, him or her, are you going to tell me that if you've captured a close accomplice of the kidnappers, who refuses to talk, are you going to tell me that all you're going to do is take this guy out to lunch and feed him hummus and tomatoes, and if that doesn't work, you're going to take him out for drinks and set him up with a $5,000 a night prostitute, you know, uh, and maybe buy him a Lamborghini in hopes that he'll reveal the location. If your answer is yes, and I'm talking to you, Hollywood liberals, and I'm talking to you, Alex Gibney, if you, then you are a liar. You, you have never been more of a liar than you are right now. What's your, what's your response? So this is, this is, this is your uh, Michael Dukakis question to uh, <laughs> Gibney. And uh, I guess, you know, the person I've been uh, addressing in, in my um, yeah. writings about this has been Glenn Greenwald, who, you know, has this kind of... Uh, he's the British guy who's been on... He's, not, he's not British. He writes for a British paper. Uh, okay. He writes for The Guardian. But he started out at Salon. And okay. he is a... Right. He is a United States citizen and, uh, and all that stuff. He's yeah. he's he's kind of a you know uh, among among his other qualities um, mm-hmm. aside from you know a, 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 a indefatigable sense of right. absolute self righteousness. He's 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 kind of a verbiage machine. So it's, it's a very difficult thing to argue against because his his pieces are so long and so dense, and they I wouldn't say they cover every base because they don't argumentatively cover every base. Uh, he is a former defense lawyer. He kind of, he just kind of rhetorically, he kind of creates a rhetorical avalanche that is so massive that it's all, that it's almost difficult to respond to as such because it's just it's just so many different points. And I wrote a piece uh, about a week ago that that did you know got a lot of very good responses, got a lot of good traffic on the blog, and started what I think is a pretty good conversation. Um, but um, you know, it received no response from him, and I'm not really inclined to to even continue it because I just don't want to get into this back and forth. And what I'm finding. You know, and and even with someone like Gibney, who is a film artist and who has, um, you know, voluminous experience in in the ways that you know images and sounds can be, uh, you know, arranged to, to manipulate uh, ideas, uh, perceptions, and so on. You know, I, I find I find that I find that the argument is is you know you're you're laying it out on one. Um, on one level, but I find the argument as it's being played out is one of those things that's just never going to. There's never going to be a kind of a common ground. The 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 the, the self-righteous uh, protesters who have some problem with Zero Dark Thirty because certain of the things that it uh, depicts and or seems to uh, find commendable. You're never going to convince these guys that um, that it's that that anything that that film has done it's legitimate. It's it's you know. Uh, because you know, and again, and they'll probably respond to your provocation with the idea of you know, uh, you know, torture as a uh, as a personal prerogative versus torture as a policy. Well, nobody you wants wanna, to use. Want to pers- live in the United States, and you want to say, uh, what was the the Charlie Hayden Liberation Music Orchestra album called? Not in our name. You know, a lot of leftists would say that relative to the wars, uh, the the aggression, you know, the the use of contras, El Salvador, a lot of the stuff in 
Central America and South America, not in our name. Similarly, you know, you have this this um, cadre of, 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 of writers and thinkers who say about torture, not in our name, and then when a film like Zero Dark Thirty comes out that depicts uh, torture as a being used and b being arguably effective uh this is an outrage and the movie needs to be quote held accountable those are the very threatening and ominous words that glenn greenwald uses but then when when pushed on like how do you mean held accountable he'll say well i'm not calling for censorship it's like they don't it's almost like the Republicans, it's almost like Mitt Romney when he was talking about Iran and saying, well, we're going to put everything on the table. And you'd say to him, well, what does that mean? Are you going to start a war with Iran? And he'd say, no, I didn't say that. You know, Greenwald will say, this movie needs to be held accountable. And you say, what do you mean by held accountable? Do you mean censored? He'd say, oh, no, I didn't say that. But the fact of the matter is, when you come right down to it, a guy like Greenwald has essentially the same attitude towards art that Stalin did. You know, he wants social realist, proper, always giving the right message, always hammering the right points, and not, you know, uh, not saying anything that's potentially objectionable, provocative, holds the viewer accountable, has any kind of ambiguity. They want, they want, they want tractor movies, you know? Yeah. They want the fucking tractor movies of the, of the, of Stalinist era. Yeah, yeah. And they won't come out and say that because, you know, yeah. that's wrong. But that's what they really want. And that's why there's no fucking point in talking to these people. Yeah. They're anti-art when it comes right down to it. And if they, if you, again, if you use the art defense, they'll just tell you, oh, no, well, Zero Dark Thirty is not art. It's just schlock because they killed the bad guy at the end. It's like, uh-huh. I don't know what movie you're watching. I've never seen anything, you know, as underplayed as the actual death of bin laden as yeah. is in this film you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah, for sure. so you know i said my piece i wrote three thousand words that i thought were pretty good people can agree with them they cannot agree with them they can argue with them i'm willing to argue with people who will argue coherently but i think you know a lot of the people the uh, Zenny Jardin, the woman from Boing Boing, Alex Gibney. Right. Essentially, what they're doing is they're 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 giving off a very hysterical, um, self-righteous, um, right. self-aggrandizing, uh, anti anti-artistic expression, anti-ambiguity argument that I'm just not interested in engaging. You're, uh, did you use the Stalinoid uh, 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 argument or the or, or paragraph about that? Do you express that in so many words in the piece that went up to? I'm sorry, I didn't read it yet, Glenn. But when is? Oh, no, 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 I didn't. I didn't use that argument. I, 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 I attacked. You know, I attacked my. I, I used my argument on much more abstract terms. I don't even want to get that personal. Well, you haven't. You haven't uh, said anything. Uh, you've rarely said something more true than what you just said because that is a Stalinist impulse. The tractor movie thing is absolutely uh, about as dead on a, a, an assessment as I read, read about these people. And uh, they do uh, uh, hate uh, the idea of art, and they are trying to insist upon some kind of uh, raw, uh, uh, sort of up, uplifting, saying the right thing about something that was, you know, no, no doubt reprehensible. No, who finds torture uh, admirable? Who finds that? You know, as, as my friend, you know, as uh, terrible. Tom Carson in GQ uh, writing about this movie, you know, yeah. he says, 
you know, you know, another movie where they show torture and it actually gets results? Battle of Algiers, which is arguably, as he says, the most pro-terrorist movie of all time. You know, I mean, it cuts both ways. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that nobody who is protesting against uh, Zero Dark Thirty has a single goddamn problem with Battle of Algiers. Yeah. And you know That's what? I don't have a problem with Battle of Algiers either. So we're 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 on the same page there. Right. But you know, if I don't have a problem with Battle of Algiers, I don't have a problem with Zero Dark Thirty. And then you got people bringing in all sorts of extra. Well, the movie was made with the cooperation of the CIA and the United States government. So clearly, it's a piece of propaganda for the United States government. I'm like, really? Because I mean, if this is propaganda, it ain't exactly you know uh, the the Ronald Reagan World War II rally the troops thing. I mean, not at all. Look that from a certain angle. Maya is not only a, a sort of a parent. Maya can be seen as a kind of fanatic. You know, mm-hmm. at the point in the movie where she says, "I believe that I was spared in order to complete," the <laughs> yeah. you think that's a good line. Oh, she's kind of gone off the rails here. You know, it might work or it might not, but she's a she's damaged goods. Yeah. You know, um, so this whole idea that you know, you know there's a CIA recruitment tool. It's like, yeah, join the CIA and 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 become become a, a single-minded obsessive with no social life sounds great. Um, you know, it's it's just kind of, it's just kind of laughable, and uh, yeah. you know, it ignores a lot of the different. You know, it's a long movie with a lot of characters thrown in, and and when Mark Strong's character shows up, it kind of changes the game a bit. And you have this whole thing where it's this very objective look at. It's almost, you know, they say, well, it's told from the CIA's point of view, so therefore it's CIA propaganda. I I prefer to think of the CIA as being kind of the host body to the perspective. Mm -hmm. You've got these kind of intelligence working stiffs, and they're sitting around after the Bush administration is finished and the Obama administration has come in, and one of them says, you know, you don't want to be the guy caught with the dog collar when the overseer comes around, because now they've got a whole different set of parameters to to observe. And it's like, oh, shit, we got new management. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the workaday perspective of it. And there's a certain irony, and it's kind of sick-making, the irony of, of, of this perspective on torture. You know, and I think it's intentionally like that. It's not as if Bull and Bigelow are missing these nuances. But the, guy, the people who are led by, by Greenwald are, 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 are insistent in not seeing them because they want to go on MSNBC and, you know, hit the high chair with their spoons and say CIA propaganda. Where'd and it's point out- not worth talking about. I mean, you know, uh, so people are like worried saying, well, if the movie gets a reputation as being pro-torture, that screws up its chances to get an Oscar. I'm like, well, that's too bad, you know. Catherine Bigelow and Mark Bold, Megan Ellison and Anna Perna, yeah. you know, I don't think, they, I think they probably think Oscars are nice, but they made this movie for another reason. As, as you know from reading the rap, Megan Ellison is the woman who makes the worst business decisions in Hollywood anyway, <laughs> you know, wasting her money being a, a fake Medici, so you, know, you think she cares about Oscars? I don't think so. Mm. Um, so, you know, all of these considerations are, are just as much projections as anybody saying that this is a movie that, you know, that you're going to come out of saying, hey, let's go out, you know, hey, man, let's go out and torture some uh, some Salvation Army Santas, because that movie made it look really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Did you happen to use the um, 
the uh, um, uh, the analogy just uh, the uh, the Battle of Algiers. Did you mention that in your piece? No, that was something that Carson did in, in yeah. his piece, and it wasn't in GQ right. in the American Prospect. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, I, I linked to that, and I linked to some other pieces. Did you link to that piece? The piece by Ignaty Vishnevetsky at the Movie Notebook is also yeah. very good, and, right. and Manola's review in the Times, which mm-hmm. has gotten her uh, earned her the disapprobation of the blogger Tom Schoen, uh, is also uh, kind of you know in the same line as as, as my own thing on the film, and I think yours, you know, mm-hmm. this is a, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then of course there's the fact that even even if it uses facts, it remains a fiction, you know, um, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here, there's a lot of stuff that, that the, uh, the people who are kind of making it into it, it's weird, because it's almost like a fake sophistication, you know, these guys like Greenwald and Gibney and all these yo-yos go on mm-hmm. MSNBC, and they have these very serious talks about right. the political implications of the film, and they're just, Dealing it on the most superficial level, and they're they, they're they're moving the goalposts as they go along. Yeah. And anything that comes from the film critical community that talks about things that are actually pertinent to reading a film, yeah. you know what the film is saying in its grammar, mm-hmm. they just dismiss out of hand as they oh you're pretentious, you know you're a pseudo intellectual. Yeah. Um, so, you know we're going to lose this battle in a certain respect, but in another way we're going to win. We've won it already because mm-hmm. the film is what it is. Is and um, you know, there's not much that uh, you know. If these guys attract attention to the film in a certain way, that you know is is, is maybe undesirable for its uh, for its Oscar chances, it certainly makes it seem more attractive to a mass audience. Which I don't think you know. I think this is you know. I think without the the draw of Osama bin Laden himself, this is a movie that would probably do Zodiac kind of business because it is a long and kind of. Uh, I wouldn't say laborious, and it's certainly not boring, but it's it's involved, and it's it's not you know it doesn't have the traditional you know jump out of your seats yeah, of uh, kind of climactic moment. But how could you not be a not be a, 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 a human being, not respond in a very aroused way to the last twenty five minutes of this film? It's great, I think. Sure, no, but it's 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 it's, it's absorbing. Yeah. But you, it's, it doesn't have a rocky moment either. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't like you don't like get you know it's not like that. Uh, you know it's it's very it's very it's confused. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's kids screaming. There's women screaming. You're, aside from wondering if they're going to get the bad guy, there's also this thing like, are these kids going to be okay? You know what's going on here? This is a this is a this is a messy, unorganized scene that's been put together with you know, amazing precision by these these uh, you know. Very well trained, you know, professional war makers. You know, the the sections are all have different titles. The title you know, for this one is Tradecraft, yeah. and then the mission itself is called the Canaries. Yeah, yeah. These guys are sent in. They don't even know that Bin Laden is there. These guys are sent in to be the Canaries in the cold mine. Yeah. They could not be coming out. Right. But the way that it's constructed, the way that it's shot, it is not. You know, it is not a Rambo thing at all. You no. know, it's not Stephen. You Burke. know, you, I don't think that anybody would fault uh, Bigelow for exploiting or. Being in any way uh, 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 Michael Bayish or cheap to have a little intercutting if she had decided to do this. She doesn't, for those who haven't seen the film. But if she had decided to intercut uh, 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 some some shots of Bin Laden sleeping, yeah. and, and he hears the choppers come down, and he gets up, and, and that look on his face, she, this is it. 
This is it. And, and if right. we had done that back and forth, yeah. it would have been... Because she does it her way, yeah. and yeah. this is this is the thing, but, you know, and it's funny, uh, it, 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 it can be kind of amusing to imagine yeah. the Michael Bay version of <laughs> Zero Dark Thirty, where, uh, you know, Art Malik plays Bin Laden, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Schwarzenegger is the head of the SEAL team, you yeah. know, yeah. I lied, you know? <laughs> Well, you know that Joe Popcorn would like that version, probably. Sure. I, you know, I, I might like it on some level, but I like this movie a lot better. Yeah. You know? Now, I'm just um, trying to point out, for those that haven't seen it, <clears throat> not only does she not go into the bedroom and show Bin Laden getting scared when he hears the choppers, she doesn't show him at all. No. She doesn't, you, don't, you don't even, even the shot moment, come on, let us see at least him getting shot. You barely see it. The first time I saw the movie, I said, what happened? Did they just get the guy, in the, they got somebody in the third floor. You barely see it. Yes, you do see it when he's lying there because they're taking his picture and you see the wound on the face. You know that he got shot in the face, so you piece it together. And that's got to be him, right? Because this is yeah. the third floor, so I know that much. Yeah, the, devo the devotion to realism or verisimilitude takes her yeah. to a place where yeah. she doesn't you know, telegraph the moment right. or, or make it triumphalist yeah. but if you know that's and that's another thing where if you have some familiarity with the actual facts you know that that's where they got him was on that floor yeah. so you're waiting for it right. but in the meantime there's all sorts of other things going on right. particularly there seems to be like dozens of children right. in that place and that's very scary yeah. um, so you know I mean it's 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 really superb filmmaking not just from the point of view of, of what the camera work is mm -hmm. just the whole, just the whole preparation, the production design, Everything. getting that compound to, to getting it to look as bad as it does. Exactly. Uh, you know, yeah. paradoxically enough, not yeah. looks bad, but it's, it's you know, it's it's skirting the edge. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of shots in the dark that are you know going on very thin ice on the edge of of, of unreadability. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's. That's the you are there thing, and yeah, she, she yeah. does that so masterfully. Right. And that's the other thing. When when a guy like Greenwald says, "Well, it's mediocre filmmaking," I'm like, "You have no idea what what you're even beginning to talk about. Yeah. Just yeah. none, yeah. none whatsoever. It's right. it's appalling." Yeah. But you know what? We can't do all we can do is is what we've done already and what we're doing because mm -hmm. we're not changing we're not changing minds here. We're definitely not changing minds. People have ways of looking at films, and they're not going to be persuaded by you know uh, theory or 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 talking about fiction. You know, they have this idea in their mind. Well, people do get their history from fictional movies, and therefore fictional movies have a responsibility yeah, to be. And yeah. you know, the the, the yeah. social responsibility crowd, uh, like the poor, are always with us. Yeah. Some of them are more sensible than others, but this one is not particularly um, right. interesting. But yeah. they're loud, and they've got the floor. So let's just point out for those again who haven't seen it uh, that when Mark Strong's character came in, a uh, scene that you referenced. He is a guy who says to the collected team, uh, presumably somewhere in Kabul, wherever they're, they're, I forget where they're located. Are they in, um, they're not in Jordan. They must be in Kabul. They're in Kabul, somewhere in Afghanistan. And, and he says to them, uh, you know, here we are, uh, you know, nine years, eight years later, and, and, you know, we're not doing anything. I want targets. Give me some targets. I want to shoot some people. So that's the, he's an Obama guy, right? That's an Obama um, yeah. uh, mission statement. So let's just be clear. I just want that understood. No, you know, the Obama, Obama has not been running a pacifist, uh, you know, um, right. 
presidency here, uh, and you know, Greenwald uh, rather famously takes Obama to task. Some say more than he took Bush to task, particularly on the uh, on the drone issue. Yeah. So um, right. you know, um, yeah. which is a whole other can of worms, right. obviously. But uh, you know, it, it, it's it's not nothing either. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we've done that. We've done that, but that's that. I, I just think so. You basically feel that there's enough of a contingent, enough of a of a dense contingent of alarmed, politically sensitive uh, Hollywood liberals who believe in in the uh, in the that we should uh, uh, have our movies reflect our values right now, not what happened, not the way it really was, but we have to be forward-minded, uh, Stalinist mind, if you want to, and, and do and say the right thing when we're showing what is obviously, and no one will dispute that it's a truly deplorable, pathetic uh, way to behave, which is to torture other people, uh, that's still, that's what's, uh, that's what's happening. Those people have banded together, and it's probably going to deny it a Best Picture nomination. Yeah, no, I don't think it's going to deny it a Best Picture nomination. I mean, no, excuse me, I didn't mean to say nomination, I meant the win. The win is not going to happen. You know, that's a tough one. I don't, you know, uh, I, I, look, I think Alex Gibney is a fine filmmaker. Yeah. I'm not sure how much he pulley has with Academy voters. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I think that, you know, I think that there's a contingent that uh, that will look at this movie and say, no, yeah, this is, this is, a, this is a spectacular achievement. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's not. Uh, I think it's not dead by a long shot. I think that. I think that there's a great possibility that um, you know the 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 people who are you know banging their spoon against the plate right. are going to overplay their hand, right. and that there's going to be a certain amount of people who are just going to say, you know what, shut up. This is a really right. um, substantial achievement in filmmaking, and uh, we like it. I mean, there's always that chance that these you know. Um, that you know that the 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 consistent box, the fainting couch are going to to like you know um, will ricochet and, and 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 turn opinion in another direction. I mean the movie is playing very strongly uh, in terms of you know yeah. in terms of box office. Uh, you know people are seeing it. It's going to do better than the Hurt Locker did. It's going to it's already got a higher profile with regular people than the Hurt Locker did when it was when it was getting the nomination. Right. So, you know, if we're going to talk about awards, I still think, you know, and there's, again, it's a 10 a 10 uh 10 movie slate. So there's room in there and possibly a 10 movie. It slate. could be big. It yeah. could be big. Could be. You know, it kind of depends. I mean, mm-hmm. it could also benefit Lincoln because you might want to end up giving the movie that has a more ennobling view of American history because you can look at Zero Dark 30 and still say, you know, this is not the most noble. Even though it's about a manhunt that ends successfully, and it's about the hunt for the man who initiated 9/11, mm-hmm. it's not particularly ennobling. It's not. No, and I don't movie, think so. it's not a movie that talks a hell of a lot about values. It's a movie about, that talks about payback. Yeah. You know, it's not about values. There's nobody talks about values in the movie. Everybody talks about we're going to get this guy because he he you know he did this. There are about there's really nothing to do with values. I would all. say there are three uh, satisfying conventional sitting there with a pub, tub of popcorn in your lap Hollywood moments in this thing. Uh, one is um, uh, is uh, is when um, uh, uh, two of them actually are in that same meeting with James Gandolfini right. when he says, "So is he there? Or is he not fucking there?" That's a Hollywood moment. She yeah. says, "I'm the mother- motherfucker that found this guy." And the third one is when the gunmen are on the, on the, um, uh, the the snipers are on the on the stairway and they're right outside of Osama's bedroom and they call out his name three times. That's that's beautiful. Yeah. That's a nice one. But other than that, there ain't no Hollywood moments in this thing. That's yeah, not really. Story. 
I mean, somebody apparently clapped at Geronimo, but who doesn't clap at Geronimo? Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's... It, 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 the fact that we're talking about it like this and, you know, after we've already, you know, we already had a conversation about it in which we touched upon none of this yeah. because the film is so rich that you can look at it in a lot of different ways. Right. And, you know, we talked about this before this controversy began and this yeah. controversy is kind of bringing a new way of, of, of talking about the film yeah. uh, into into view. So I'd almost rather see, I mean, I hate, uh, I'm sorry, I don't think it deserves it. I don't, I don't really, not that much. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the last... I'm sorry, but I'm a fan of the last 40 minutes of Les Miserables, um, and I've told the, the universal people that, and I've said that, and I, and I have to say it's, I really uh, was caught up in that film, but I, I don't think it's a, a altogether that good a film. I think it's a... It really <laughs> depends on how well the film does. If the film does very well, and it gets the Best Picture um, nod, then nobody will mind. If the film doesn't do well, and they still give it the Best Picture nod, then people will think uh, it'll be one of those things where people will say, Oh my, you know, boy, Hollywood out of touch again. You know, this musical, this this stodgy musical gets best picture. What's up with that? When mm -hmm. you've got, yeah. you know, even even relatively something like the Silver Linings Playbook, which I I like and you admire much more than I do, but I don't dislike it. But even something like the Silver Linings Playbook has a more contemporary, uh -huh. you know, a more vibrant contemporary uh, feel to it than Les Mis, in spite of all the things that uh, Hooper does to try and to try and bring it into um, you know uh, a, a less a less stodgy mode. You know he knows he's not stupid. He knows the language of cinema. He's a smart enough guy to understand. So he said to myself, he said to himself, uh, "I'm going to be hitting the uh, the audience with lots and lots of close-ups. It's going to be con con you know constant, and I know that a certain portion." is going to just back off and they say, you know, this is too much, you know, I, I'm, I'm just not a, this is a, an assault. And he knew that, but he did it anyway. So I at least respect the guy. I know that he's not dumb. He doesn't realize what he's doing. He just decided the hell with it. I'm going to do, the, I'm, I'm going to do that, uh, take that approach and, uh, and come what will. So. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, and it'll either connect or it won't. I mean, it's funny that they screen the film and then they lifted the embargo on reviews. Yeah. So we've been talking about this film, not you and I, but people have been talking about this film for a while yet, and I'm, again, and, and this has gone back to the first time we even talked about it, I'm really, I'm still mystified and dying to find out what the audience reaction is going to be to this film, if it takes off or not. And I have no idea. And if it does, all bets are off in terms of, um, you know, award stuff. But I'm not, I still don't know. Just God's, I just sit, I sit every day, I get down, if I had a Koran, I would get down on my knees and roll off the rug and I would pray to, pray to Allah, pray to, pray to God, please don't let a weak pulse, uh, you know, self-important, droning procedural movie like Lincoln win Best Picture, please. And I, it, I respect it, but please don't make this the best film. Come on. There's, I mean, have something that lights you up. Have a little fire in your blood, you know, a little passion. Don't go for this safe, dull, almost dull. It's not dull, but it's I almost it's dull. dull. I, again, I like it much better than you do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind, uh, but, you know, I think, I think, oh. uh, you know, in terms of, in terms of, um, in terms of what the great films are going to be for audiences yeah. this season, it's still wide open. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, Lincoln is doing a lot, lot better than um, 
than I think even people who are high on it thought it would. It's you know, doing better because you they, And we talk about this a lot when we talk about Oscars. It's It becomes a zeitgeist film, you know. What, Lincoln, what is, Lincoln, did, Lincoln did what War Horse couldn't do. It became a zeitgeist movie. But now, Zero Dark Thirty is the zeitgeist movie. It absolutely is the zeitgeist movie. And even if Les Mis does well, yeah. it's not going to, uh, it's not going to uh, right. squeeze out uh, Zero Dark Thirty is the Zeitgeist movie. The question becomes, what kind of Zeitgeist movie Zero Dark Thirty is? And mm-hmm. if, it's the, if it turns out to be the right kind of Zeitgeist movie, right. then it's going to do very well in terms of awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't dare to even write this, but I'm going to tell you something that just happened. I was going over the entire, for the first time, thoroughly thinking it through. I, I spent about five or six hours on the Sundance 2013. Yes. Are you going to go by any chance? I'm not going. Um, it's it's one of those things where uh, <laughs> if I don't have to go, I don't go. I mean, I always, you know, when I used to go, I, I would always kind of dread going, and then I'd go and I'd have a pretty good time, and then the next year would come along and I'd dread going. I don't, uh-huh. you know, I I I, I find I, I enjoy film festivals that are a little more, uh, what can I say, a little a little a little, a little more uh, a little quieter. Tr- not you know a little easier to get around. You know, I like to I like I like can where I kind of get in. 8.30 in the morning, get started, and, you know, run across the street for a cup of coffee at Farfar when it was still open, and uh, then off to the next screening and do that. You know, same with Toronto. A way you can get in kind of four or five, even six screenings a day pretty quickly and, and not have to run around too much. You and, can't but, file, and, you can't keep up with a day-to-day and file and see six or even really five. You can see four maybe yeah. if you're going to be really fast. And I'm talking about easy Wi-Fi every single place you go to. If it's not there, I can't tell you the number of hours, even in can. Uh, when the uh, Orange uh, Press Cafe, the only the, the thing that saved my life there, I don't know if you ever did this, but I purchased the uh, Palais Wi-Fi thing, which costs sure. about a hundred. That saved my life. Every now, now I can sit down anywhere, plug in some anywhere, even on a step somewhere, and I can I can file something. That made a, the whole difference. But otherwise, it's it's a brutal. But I don't find a Sundance that difficult because of the bus system being pretty good. It's not. Yeah, the bus system is good. Last time I went, I got food poisoning, and uh, I spent the day in bed on the day that Heath Ledger died. That's my last Sundance memory. Um, that was 97, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, well, 2007, yeah. I mean, I meant to say 2007, yeah, right. right. But, uh, yeah. yeah, that was... that hey, was. You know, it's funny, Glenn. i got to tell you this. I was sick that day. Huh. I had a, I had a fever, and I was out, and I was lying on a couch, and somebody woke me up with the news about Heath Ledger, and I dragged myself to the kitchen table. But it was the same thing. I was under the weather for the whole day. Funny. I, I couldn't leave bed. I could not. I, you know, it was bad. Yeah. That's my last Sundance memory of, like, being deathly ill with food poisoning before getting well enough to get on a plane and get out of there. Okay. Uh, I'll try. Mm. Maybe I'll need to get back again so I can, like, you know, just build a new memory of it. Um... Well, yeah, I don't think I'll be going. Um, yeah, I saw that list, and it's you know, maybe maybe they need someone new to do the descriptions or something. But um, the whole <laughs> they make them sound like all the same. <laughs> it really, there really is this kind of generic, yeah. you know, and it almost works into subcategories. Yeah. And you remember in Peter Biskin's book Down in Dirty Pictures, where he talks about the granola Sundance, and that yeah. was broken, that was broken open when Reservoir Dogs was there. Yeah. And well, actually, it was it was mm-hmm. the Granola Sundance was replaced by Sex Lies and Videotape Sundance, right. replaced by Reservoir Dog 
Sundance, and then for a long time you had nothing but Quentin Tarantino wannabes in Sundance. Yeah. And now it's everything. Uh-huh. Now it's granola, it's sex lies, it's res- Reservoir Dogs. All of them are in there yeah. in different permutations all over the place. And there's nothing that really stands out and says, uh, that just sort of strikes you in the middle of the forehead and says, new cinema. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, like, oh, a biography of Steve Jobs at Sundance. A biography of Steve Jobs starring Aston Kutcher at Sundance. That's the only thing that stands out. Because yeah. it's almost, because it stands out in a way that you're reminded, oh, Christ, Aston Kutcher's a Sundance. Because <laughs> he is, after, um, what was it, Touch? Yeah. Or uh, the, the, the David McKenzie thing he was in. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah, Aston Kutcher is a Sundance person, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but that, that kind of that, that 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 stands out in a way, but not in a good way. You know, it's it's um, even something where you you might be rooting for it, like Joseph Gordon Levitt's directorial debut. It's like, of course, Joseph Gordon Levitt's directorial debut <laughs> at Sundance. You know what I mean? It's it's almost like, why doesn't Joseph? I'd have more, I, I'd be more interested if it was playing at Rotterdam. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. But it's just yeah. there's there's an element of absolute. It's clubby. You know, it's always been predictable, yeah. you know, predictable. Yeah. Um, the aptness about it. Yeah. That is just, that, that becomes kind of a, a turn off in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. I completely uh, concur with that. It's the same, uh, uh, the same thing that happens uh, time and again. They're the same type of people. They're all, they're all good people. They're all clever people. They're all brilliant people for the most part. I've never, you know. But it all turns, it, it becomes the same kind of, um, there's a Sundance movie. I mean, that people have been saying this since the 90s. There is a... Yeah, except now there's like, now just, you know, now there's like about 10 different genres of Sundance movies, but they all can still fit under that rubric. That's right. the thing, you right. know. But there's still that thing. Mm-hmm. Lovelace, exactly, right. exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. The, 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 the sexually, the maybe it is, maybe it isn't sexually explicit because mm-hmm. the famous Hollywood actress take a chance and do something kind of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, tease idea, irrespective or uh, ir- regardless of the actual value of the film itself, which could be great, you know what I mean? But it's like, again, really, the, 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 the bold, um, the only thing that's missing uh, is the actual porn star does a legitimate film thing, which I guess is a, uh, a subset of, of the canyons having been rejected mm-hmm. or, or not submitted in time. Because right. uh, that would be, you know, that's, that's you know, mm-hmm. that's a staple also. Um, so where are you, if we could sh- shift subject over to uh, Janko and Chain, I'm uh, of the opinion, I've been in, uh, <clears throat> forever, is that there were three brilliant, totally satisfying, happy, uh, watch them forever movies, uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and uh, to a slightly lesser, less extent, lesser extent, but um, but Jackie Brown is very satisfying. Yeah, it's low key. It's fairly believable. And then he went off the reservation into his imagination of I like to recreate the universe movies. I'm going to really go comic book. I'm going to go really, uh, you know, very very flavorful and very very uh, idiosyncratic. And and I'm not going to pay attention to. I'm not going to ground my movies in realism anymore. Reservoir Dogs was I, I mean, there's no relation to the to the to the paintbrush that he's he was working with back then. Now there's, he's completely um, given up on that, and I'm much more like. Good you know, point, you know. I never I never actually bothered to go to make the leap back to Reservoir Dogs from 
something like Django Unchained or or Inglorious Bastards. But you're right; it's it, the the tightness, the tautness, the um, yeah. the ability to stretch within that universe yeah. was incredibly exhilarating. Yes, it was. But there is a certain you know there's a certain there's a certain discipline, and it could be imposed by the budget, or it could have been imposed by right. just the movies he was paying homage to in that film. And there's a certain kind of discipline that is that is uh, I think that I found exhil you know I found it exhilarating to shake those chains off in Inglorious Bastards, but I think in Django Unchained it comes close to being disastrous. Mm -hmm. So why is it? I mean, so so many people uh, just tell me, look, I just had a good time. This is a good, uh, you know, kind of seventies uh, uh, spaghetti western, but it's actually a southern, but it's actually with humor, and it's like I can, I can, and I say, you, you, you enjoy that for two hours and and forty five, forty minutes. You actually, yeah, really but I just had a good time with it. Is like, is a complete, you know, you can't argue with me response because. There's so much in that movie that is like inarguably lame. Yeah. The the stuff with the sacks and the eye holes is is a joke that Mel Brooks would have dispensed with <laughs> in two beats in Blazing Saddles. That is here drawn out to an unconscionable length, mainly because I don't know. Maybe you know he wanted to 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 show the you know it's Jonah Hill's only part in the movie. Maybe I wanted to show the hey I, I you know I got Jonah Hill on, to be on my set for a few few days and yeah. this is what he did. But it's it's the worst. It's it's inexcusably lame, and it go and it's 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 shoehorned in. You know the way they structure that. They have the actual scene where Don Johnson's Big Daddy and his posse go after um, Christopher Christoph Waltz and Jamie Foxx, mm -hmm. and they're 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 about to run down the mountain. And they they have all this, and it's it's all well and good. It is what it is. But then they actually do a flashback to 15 minutes prior. Where they're complaining about the eye holes, they can't even like structure the yeah. <laughs> cinematically in a way that makes sense. So it's, almost like, it's almost like he's editing the film and he says, "Oh, wait a minute! I have this great bit with Jonah Hill where they're complaining about the eye holes in the sex. Well, let's just cut that in as a flashback here." And it's like, so, so there's so much wrong with it hmm. that the only defense <laughs> that you have really is to say. Oh, well, I had a good time with it. Okay, well, yeah. good for you. You know what? I didn't. <laughs> I thought it was lame. I, th yeah. I think Broomhilda is lame. Yes, I do. Um, yeah. the, 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 the extended dinner scene with, with Which Candy almost takes a full and, hour, Glenn. And, and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Tired. Yeah. You know, I think of scenes like the Mexican standoff in, in Inglorious Bastards where at least, you know, the references and the pop culture stuff, and it led somewhere, mm -hmm. and it had a, 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 a satisfying payoff, and it was, it was, it was, you know, the 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 beats, and I'm not talking about you know beats from an Asian's point of view, but actual beats, you know, the right. beats of the editing, the rhythm of the dialogue, the way that it all came down was satisfying and was well constructed and here it's slapdash there's a lot of missed opportunities too the whole business with the um, when Django is sent off to the mines and he uses his wiliness to fool these uh, these these Australian guys one of whom is played by Tarantino in a really ill-advised return to acting yeah. Um, yeah. and that whole scene 
you you think about what it could have been, and you think about what it might have been in another Tarantino movie where he was really on his game, mm-hmm. and you realize the whole thing's a botch. You know, the whole way that he dispenses with the guys in order to become free and go back to the to the plantation is thrown away. Uh, so there's a there's there's a really a lot wrong with it, and I, I don't know what the people who had a good time with it are responding to. It's incredibly bloody. Um, why do you think, by the way, Jamie Foxx doesn't in, uh, tell those uh, those three guys uh, who have been now freed? Uh, why doesn't he have them join him uh, in the in the final thing? It would be more of a uh, that would be more rousing for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's almost like a it's almost it's almost the idea of thumbing his nose at, at the idea of of, of of collective action and collective uh, action. Yeah, but that whole thing after at the end. Um, mm. Where the final triumph again? No, spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you're not going into this movie thinking that Jamie Foxx's character is going to do anything but triumph. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing where you know there's this huge conflagration and he's sitting there on his horse with Kerry Washington and he starts having his horse do tricks. Yeah. And really, and it's really kind of cutesy, almost sitcomish. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, seriously, you know, are you, you know, I, I understand that the. The movies have been always, you know, especially with Inglorious Bastards, a very daring, risky amalgam of mm-hmm. different, not only different genres, but different tones. Right. And, but, the, you know, as with everything else, the, the, the key to, to getting away with this is execution. You thought, the, you know, you didn't think he got away with it in Inglorious Bastards. I did. Mm-hmm. I don't think he gets away with it in Django Unchained. I don't think he pulls it off. I was, I was tired. I was enervated. I was depressed. I loved Inglorious Bastards. I've seen it three times. I came out of it exhilarated every time. Coming out of this theater, I thought I was so disappointed. And I, I really just, I didn't even, you know, I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. I just, that is, it was a real like, wow, that happened kind yeah. of moment. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, you know, I, I should actually say, now, now that I think of it, uh, uh, True Romance, which is the one that Tony Scott uh, Wound up directing. He was ready to direct Reservoir Dogs or True Romance. That was shot. That was written before Quentin happened. So it was a yeah. it was an early thing, and it does have a, a scene that does stretch credibility. And yet, I completely enjoyed it, and I could watch that. I just got that on. Uh, just sent to me on Blu-ray for some reason. Oh yeah, it was part of that Quentin box. That yeah, sure. Them. And I love the uh, the the three um, the, the 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 bodyguards for the Joel Silver figure. The actual cops and gangsters all holding guns at each other. That's ridiculous. That's obviously just uh, a construction. That's, let's see how far I can push this type of thing. Well, no, exactly. I mean, that, that is the whole point. It's a, it, becomes a, yeah. it becomes a reductio ad absurdum. But, but of, that I was completely uh, enjoying. Standoffs. And, and and, but, I mean, he does that very knowingly. Very, and he very does good. it in a, in a, yeah. in a way where, where he's pushing himself. And, right. you know, part of the reason that is awesome is, is because of the way that Scott himself stages and choreographs it and shoots it. And I think that Tarantino himself mm-hmm. has done things that have been comparably virtuosic. I mean, the whole thing he does with playing with time in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the mall scene in Jackie Brown is just magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. Yeah. You, don't get, you don't get genre filmmaking more accomplished than that in, sure. in, in contemporary cinema at all. That's yeah. just great. It has yeah. nothing to do with mm-hmm. maturity or anything mm-hmm. like that. I mean, people say that Jackie Brown's his most mature film because it's about adults, but you know, this is this this is a scene and a concept and a sequence that could fit into any outlandish notion. So you know, the chops have been.
been there and they've worked out and they've created some incredible moments. And I yeah. just think that here they don't. I think here it's just a mess. Yeah. And and the uh, you have to always look, as I've been saying about Spielberg, he has been surrounded by uh, a team, a group. He, well, pretty much anywhere he goes, he is um, uh, bowed down to, kowtowed, and praised for being the generator of, of, of untold millions, billions of dollars of revenue for to so many people. He is uh, he cannot uh, do anything really wrong as far as his the immediate surroundings. So he is never told. Uh, rethink things. Don't do. Don't commit to your usual problems. I mean, he's obviously learned things. He's not completely impervious to it. I respect the man as far as it goes, but he's been told that he's uh, pretty much blemish-free by by too many people over too many. I don't know what his creative process is. I don't think Tony Kushner is a pushover himself. You know, I think he, it's quite possible that he works with people who who give him some resistance or or, or pushback. I think the, the the larger issue it goes back to something that Richard Lester told Steven Soderbergh in, in, uh -huh. in that book of interviews. Yeah, that was great. Uh, getting away with it that, yeah. that Stephen wrote that's half his diary and half a bunch of interviews. Yeah. You know, that for Lester, he said, you know, um, once a director reaches a certain amount of public recognition, mm -hmm. um, they stop taking the bus. And he meant that both metaphorically and literally. But that they, like just like movie stars, mm -hmm. to a certain extent, they start living in a bubble. And they lose the observational they, they lose the observational chops for real life that they once had because they're in this environment now that is just, you know, about not only, not necessarily even about just making them happy, but just about doing this work, continuing to do this work, well, who is and the being director in or, this industry. Who's the producer or director who said the famous line, I'm not trying to stop you, I'm just interjecting, who said that the minute you've taken your first tennis lesson, you're done as a director. Well, yeah, I mean that's one way of putting it. I, th I like I like Le I, I like Lester's, uh, yeah. uh, you know, and, and what's yeah. Tarantino's line? I don't want to I don't want to make a film to pay for you know I don't want to make this film to pay for my pool. You know, this yeah. is not the movie I make to right. to 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 pay for my swimming pool. You know, mm -hmm. they have different ways of putting it. I like Lester's metaphor a lot. You know, and, and <laughs> at the time Soderbergh asked, and this is right as right as Stevens' career was was right. you know taking off again. This mm -hmm. is prior to the limey and out of sight. He says, well, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? And, mm -hmm. and I don't even know if that's a valid question, but, you know, Lester said, well, it is what it is, you know, and it affects different directors different ways. Mm -hmm. Tarantino says he doesn't want to make a, a movie to pay for his pool, you know. Sidney Lumet, on the other hand, said, you know, and, and Lumet was, was a great director who made a lot of mediocre pictures along the way. He said, you know, sometimes you make a film, sometimes you have reasons, and sometimes they seem like the right reasons for you. He was very frank with me. He said, I made Child's Play because there was this great brownstone on 72nd Street that I wanted to buy. And David Merrick was offering me a lot of money to make this film that I could now buy this apart, this hot townhouse on 72nd Street. And he figured it turned out to be a nightmare because he <laughs> couldn't stand working with David Merrick, and the movie didn't work out too great either. He said, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. Mm -hmm. Spielberg doesn't need to make movies to buy anything anymore. Yeah. You know, he's um, uh, like, uh, you know, I don't know if you saw the, this week's New York Times, but, you know, the uh, front cover of the magazine is Jerry Seinfeld. You know, he's obscenely wealthy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in his mid 
60s, and he still is an obsessive about stand-up. Mm-hmm. It's like, why? You know, yeah. Spielberg doesn't need to make another film as long as he lives, but he gets something out of it. And, and whether it's a sense of his own importance as a filmmaker mm-hmm. or whether it's a sense of, of, of creative joy anymore, we can't say. But, you know, the work is what it is, you know, yeah, and I think... Well, he gets his ass kissed by everybody, almost. Oh, sure. And if, if there were 25 more people who felt as I did, who were known and prominent and read by a lot of people, it would be a different landscape, and the man would probably be rethinking things, but he gets his ass kissed. Even for things like Amistad, go back and read the reviews of Amistad. You know, even that got a pass. And later... Uh, my recollection of Amistad was that it got a lot of... Uh, Pushback and a lot of mo- right, a lot of right out and out mockery. Okay. Um, you know, Jim and Hansu in particular uh, took a long time to recover his kind of uh, yeah. idea of, of having any kind of acting chops whatsoever because people thought he was just this. You know, uh, really had no sense of what his performance even was. So I think it, you know there was a certain amount of pushback, yeah. and the movie did not mm-hmm. do well either. So you know, wait a minute, it was you're not saying it was a bust, was it? Amistad? Yeah. I don't think it did that well. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, uh, it was, it, it, uh, like War Horse, it was not something that captured the popular imagination of its time. All right. Okay. All right. So, um, uh, where I didn't read, uh, Glenn, what did you feel about um, the, the new Tom Cruise? Because uh, I, I was very taken with their, at least their attempt to try and, uh, and, and make a movie that wasn't following the, the, the rules of action cinema today, which is, you know... I, I was somewhat pleasantly surprised, and I didn't mention this when I, I moderated a Q&A for one of the press conferences, and I didn't mention uh-huh. this to Macquarie, but I had an amusing thought watching the movie, particularly and because Macquarie talked about the car chase scene and how Cruz, who's a, race, you know, a, car, a driver himself, <laughs> kind of insisted on doing his own stunts for that. Yeah. And I also noticed that in some of the fight scenes at the end, mm-hmm. uh, um, and I said to myself, I made a mental note to myself that it kind of, uh, the movie followed the haywire doctrine, um, you know, in that, uh, you know, unlike a lot of action movies of, 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 of our time, mm-hmm. what, what Soderbergh did in Haywire with, with Gina Carano, uh, a trained martial, you know, martial, mixed martial arts fighter right. doing a lot of uh, stunt work, uh, most of her own stunt work against actors doing their own stunt work and keeping the camera mm-hmm. stationary for a lot of the hitting and so on. You got a lot of that in Jack Reacher, and I'm thinking like, well, mm-hmm. even though Haywire was not a hit and it was it turned out to be rather a, a disappointment financially, I think other filmmakers have, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that other filmmakers besides Macquarie have taken its example. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to ask Macquarie directly whether he thought of that film, but I'd, I'd bet that I'd bet there's a chance that he did. And and um, you know, um, can you explain? And I'm hoping that more people do that because it is it does create a more exciting, yeah, uh, a more exciting uh, product than uh, than this kind of uh, than the chaos cinema blur. I was, the Chaos Cinema is so not an Evanston Haywire, and I was so lifted off the ground when I saw it last, was it last January when it came out? or what, it, was, what was it? it was actually, yeah, in January. And I was so, I said, this is it, this is the, the first, uh, this is like, the, you know, he made it with the idea of trying to resuscitate the action uh, battle aesthetic of the uh, train compartment battle between uh, Sean Connery and Robert Shaw and From Russia With Love, which I th- Yeah, that, and there's an, also a picture with Rod Taylor and William Smith called Darker Than Amber. Okay. Uh, that they looked at too, um, where they just demolish, you know, the the characters just sort of demolish a hotel room while kicking the shit out of each other. I don't even know that film. What year is that? Uh, it's a '60s picture. Um, Late '60s? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, 
darker than amber. I don't even ring your bell. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, William Smith is one of the greats uh, in terms of action and yeah. action movies, B action movies mostly. Mm-hmm. He's also known for having played Falcon Eddie on uh, Rich Man, Poor Man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a difficult picture to see. I think there's some clips of it on YouTube uh, that, that are possible to see, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's it, that's that's one of them. It's a Rod Taylor thing. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean the 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 action aesthetic where you 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 actually have this sense of people inflicting physical damage on one another. But people who are or what you would call by 2012 standards or 2011 standards action geeks, people that are that are that understand and appreciate the 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 opera, the ballet of it. Uh, they all were down on uh, on uh, on the Soderbergh, and I was uh, saying, "What the fuck? You're telling me you don't like this? This is a problem." Oh yes, it's too. And they had all these reasons, basically saying it doesn't act and operate like a 2012 action film that they like. It doesn't have. Right, right. Make- I don't even think they were talking about the action scenes. They were talking about the way that the plot unfolded. Um, you know. Um, oh, that was barely of interest to me. Who cared? You know. I mean, they they were after. Apparently, some people still do care. Um, but yes. Yeah, Darker Than Amber, 1970 film, yeah. uh, based on a John McDonald novel, and okay. it's uh, mm. directed by uh, a guy named Robert Klaus, who's nobody's ever heard of. Right. But uh, yeah, big fight scene with him and William Smith. I think you can see it on, uh, on okay. YouTube. All right. Um, hey, by the way, I just got, I don't know if you ever uh, you know any friends who have it, I just got, for the first time, because a director uh, friend uh, suggested I get it, it's only 100 bucks. I got the Apple TV thing. Oh yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, yeah, gotten... have good Wi-Fi. It's just a little box. It's nothing special. It's just that it makes it. Uh, there's a few more movies for free, and you can put your music on and everything. I don't. What, what do you? Who cares about putting their music on their television? But you can, uh, you know, all your photos. You know, the whole the whole thing. Plus, um, uh, e- very easy, uh, easier if you ask me. Access to to the uh, movie channels, which I yeah. still don't like because I don't think you get the quality. <laughs> I mean, you know, we could talk about. Uh, Streaming is just yeah. a disaster yeah. in terms of quality. I remember when TiVo, you know, I mean, eventually it'll all get sorted or it won't. But I remember when TiVo first came out, and we used to make a joke about how, like, it was like watching a sock puppet version of what <laughs> you recorded. Yeah. And that was, you know, that's yeah. that's kind of what's going on with streaming now. If you've got a really popular movie and, you know, hundreds or thousands of people are trying to stream it simultaneously, what you get is a really low quality yes, product. You do. Yes, and, uh, you do. This is why guys like us are still mm-hmm. big Blu-ray boosters because it's you know reliable. <laughs> you know the only way the only way I became a Netflix fan was when I, I finally uh, earlier this year bought an um, iPad three and I like the way it looks on iPad. That's not a problem because it's not stretching the limits and um, I, I'm completely happy and I'm very glad I have that as an option rather than sometimes watching a film in bed. I almost never do, but I, I do it now because of, I really like. I'm completely happy. Although I wouldn't choose it as the ideal way, I, <clears throat> I still believe great cinema, followed by Blu-ray, followed by at least a, a good D, a DVD, and then Netflix. So it's like fourth in it. But but streaming is way down there. Streaming is below broadcast. Streaming is below cable. Everything. Uh, so that's that's lamentable. Well, you're gonna, you know, you, you, I know you probably like the California weather, but this week. Uh it's a good time to be in New York because yeah. um, the Film Society of Lincoln Center is uh, mm-hmm. showing a uh, they have a series of films in 70 millimeter, um, ah, including 2001 at the Walter Reed. At the Walter Reed, okay. yeah, 2001 will be tomorrow. I'm going to mm-hmm. try and make that. Um, there's an East German biography of, of 
Francesco Goya, starring the Lithuanian actor who was in uh, Tarkovsky's Solaris, that mm. I'm going to check out, mm. and also Cheyenne Autumn. Right. Uh, this is the state of film preservation, by the way. Uh, Cheyenne Autumn, you know, arguably problematic <laughs> on Ford film, yeah. obviously, but yeah. in order to get a 70-millimeter print of mm. Cheyenne Autumn, uh, they had to get it from a Swedish film archive, so they're going to show Cheyenne Autumn in in English with Swedish subtitles. I didn't think John Ford had the um, clout or the economic uh, power to have a film shot in '65. Are we talking about a film that was just printed in '70? But uh, Cheyenne, was... Cheyenne Autumn was a big deal. This is an early '60s thing, and uh, it was it was at the time when you know the studios were were were, were mm -hmm. you know it was another it was another gimmick like like Cinemascope, you yeah. know, 70 yeah. millimeters. So yeah. um, I think that was the deal. I mean, John Ford also shot. A uh, probably the best section of uh, how the West was won. The yeah. panorama. I'll buy that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, being delighted by uh, by Blu-ray, uh, particularly if you've just watched a streaming film, I just got in the mail and I just watched last night uh, all together the the Duelist on Blu-ray. Oh yeah, how's that look? <laughs> it looks like film every. Every uh, frame of the way, and it's heavenly. Yeah, I mean, I was delighted with how, you know, it, the moisture of the, those uh, French and Belgian, uh, where mostly European, uh, you can just feel the weather, you can feel the outdoorsiness. So that's the thing with that movie, Wonderful. the diffuse lighting and the yeah. impressionistic feel, you yeah. could do a lot wrong yeah. with putting that on into digital form. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so I'm glad you're saying it yeah. looks good. I, it looks wonderful. I'm just I could I could watch it again just to just to look at it. It's not really all that compelling a story because it's just when is he finally going to either kill Harvey Keitel or when is Harvey Keitel going to see the error of his ways, which he obviously isn't because he's obstinate and bullheaded and an asshole. So you have to just keep waiting for fight after fight. So it's not really the I can see why it yeah. wasn't. It's, now, the dirty little secret of that movie is that it's not a particularly interesting story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's all, you know. I mean, people people complain about Barry Lyndon, but Barry Lyndon is a uh, is a model of, of, of narrative uh, narrative. You know, a lot of stuff happens over yes. the course of its three hours. Yes. Here, it's just one thing mm -hmm. that may or may not happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but that was delightful. I didn't even expect it. It was just sent to me out of the blue, and I also got. Uh, let me see. I got um, sometimes a great notion, and mm, yeah, that, that, that I'm very interested in checking that out. I mean, I'm not, I don't rate uh, Newman usually high as a director, but yeah. just you know, it's Ken Kesey novel, yeah. uh, the 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 novel that everybody was you know, everyone was expecting this kind of counterculture follow up to uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and instead they have this. You know, logging epic. A very interesting thing. Did you ever meet um, Kesey for any reason? Never did. Yourself? In Sundance once, when there was a documentary about him and those guys. I don't. I don't know if it was about him, but it was uh, Chuck. Chuck Warren was the director. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. And I uh, had a. I got uh, my 20 minutes with him at a table, which I was uh, uh, delighted, and and I said this is historic. And I told him <clears throat> that I played Dr. Spivey in, in a stage production of uh, Cuckoo's Nest back in the uh, mid 70s. And he says, so you played Spivey, huh? And he looked at me and I said, wow, this is great. This is one of the great moments of my, uh, uh, in terms of like just brief communings with, with, yeah. with, with legendary people. And then I remember uh, standing out on a, on a balcony with his son, who was there from, up from Oregon, and we were looking at all the people 
streaming down Main Street and streaming up and the whole, you know, uh, Sundance uh, community. And he said to me, uh, I'll never forget this, where are all the fat people? <laughs> I said, this is not America, man. This is, you know, this is Los Angeles, New York. So. Well, like Ken Kesey, talk about someone of whom you could write uh, the catastrophe of success. Uh, because he uh, uh, became... Uh, he did once he had written, I guess sometimes a great notion which came after Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, yeah, but which never, you know, never got the kind of, you know, he was never allowed to be yeah. a kind of a career novelist. You know, uh, he had to be. He, he he got put into this position where he was kind of a forced to be Ken Kesey. Mm, you know? Yeah, and yeah. it was kind of half his own idea and half the world. So. But he could have uh, just gotten small and just taken it easy and reversed himself and said, listen, well, you never know. I mean, look at Kerouac. I mean, you know, you never know what happens or what drives or, or what the compelling forces are. But it right. seems, it seems, uh, you know, um, right. yeah, who can, who can finally say? There are two, by the way, Beat Generation movies at Sundance. I think that are on the road. I'm sorry. I, I happen to be a fan of, uh, of the long version. I saw it can. I'm still a fan of the shorter one, but I think that after Walter Sow's film, everybody's gone to it. Nobody has any more room in their souls for another uh, Kerouac hanging out with, uh, with 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 Burroughs and Ginsburg. I can't do that anymore. And That's a movie, that movie's gotten some brutal reviews. People are really hating yeah. on it, and I don't understand why. I'm not. Again, it's not something I liked as much as you did, but I mm -hmm. thought it was a game effort. But there's some people. Yeah. I, I I see people writing, "Oh, worst of the year." I'm like. Oh, yeah, that's not fair to say. I, I don't understand where that's coming from. I can see, you know, the problem with it, from, <laughs> the problem with making a movie of On the Road right now is that, you know, everybody's kind of like, yeah. everybody who'd be possibly invested in it has made their own movie of On the Road in their head. Right. And I think it was wise of Walter Salas and whoever else was involved in the adaptation to make the movie almost as much about the writing of On the Road as, as being an adaptation of On the Road itself. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me that there's something... Mm -hmm. It's funny, who'd have thought... I mean, the, 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 it's, 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 it's a nearly 60-year-old book now, yeah. but who'd have thought that the, the country that it describes is, mm -hmm. was more or less unrecognizable to right. us. It's a myth yeah. now. Yeah. And this whole idea that you could just get into a car and tank up with gas and just drive. Yeah. This is yeah. Not, this is this is not even this is so this is this that's almost science fiction at this point. <laughs> so um I I was gonna say before that I, I um looking over the Sundance list and I came to two films. One is called Blue Oldsmobile or Blue Cadillac or Blue something or other. Right, right. It's about a sniper. In the, in the black community, and it's also there's also another one about a younger person killing another younger person in school and the horrible aftermath of that and all, what comes from that. And I had this reaction uh, post uh, Newtown. I said, you know, having everybody, having all of us, uh, I think, uh, visited the uh, probably the, the, the probably the, the, the darkest, lowest corner of, of the human soul and, and, and who we are and who, what we're capable of, uh, including that, what I believe, that woman who absolutely was the Dr. Frankenstein of the monster who nurtured her son, brought him along, showed him the shooting ranges, made sure he knew how to shoot, 
taught them about survivalist ethos. She was the mother. I'm sorry. She mothered that kid into at least not not the not the uh, murder. Obviously, I, I don't believe that she was really uh, directly responsible. Although <coughs> vaguely she was responsible, but she she nurtured him into a, a gun consciousness. You're going to tell me that kid would have done that if she didn't own those guns and if she didn't. Uh, 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 you know, tell him and take him to ranges and talk about her survival. Or, or what I've read is that she, she believed that, you know, we were facing end times and that things were going get, to get heavy and we had to... Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I don't think... I don't think that there are uh, circumstances under which to learn gun use. Yeah. Uh, I never, you know, I... I when I was... Um, uh, as in the consumer electronics industry, uh, consumer electronics journalism, yeah. that frequently um, companies like Panasonic would frequently have mm -hmm. sales conventions and stuff in Arizona at you know one of Charlie Keating's resorts, yeah. and you know uh, as a journalist you'd fly out to see what the new line was going to be in terms of VCRs, laser disc players, all that stuff, and you'd get wined and dined and you'd hang out. I actually met the guy who killed Bob Crane at one of these uh, things because he was working for a consumer electronics company at the time. What did he get uh, prison time? Did he get prison time? I don't know. What happened? I, don't think, you know, I think he actually uh, was tried. He died and he was, I think he died somewhere before they could actually throw him in jail. He didn't have the evidence or something or he never confessed and they couldn't get him? Yeah, they, well, they, 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 it was a cold case and then it was revived. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he was a consumer electronics guy. Okay. But what they do, uh, you know, once you got bored or, or if there was downtime, they'd, yeah. they'd, you know, put everybody into a Jeep and they'd drive out into the desert and they'd give you these massive magnum, <coughs> you know, like Clint Eastwood, Dirty Harry guns, and they'd have you shoot at cactuses. Uh -huh. uh, and I was pretty crummy at it. Um, mm. and, or they'd, they'd take you skeet shooting. Uh, which again, I was pretty crummy at, yeah. but uh, I guess I'm not a real man. But you know, I I, I think that you know, taking uh, I don't want I don't want people with survivalist philosophies having large scale automatic weapons on any yeah. level, and yeah. you know the whole uh, it's it's almost it's 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 it's, it's really macabre to mm -hmm. consider uh, a mom with this kind of philosophy taking a kid who's who's you know who seems you know reasonably likely to be poorly socialized to begin with mm -hmm. into this context i mean it's just it's just astonishing you know it's, yeah. it's astonishing on a lot of uh a lot of ways and it's also astonishing in 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 terms of of these arguments, uh, you know, apparently LaPierre got on New York, got on uh, Meet the Press today and, and just doubled down on Yeah, the, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know. And because they're, 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 it's almost like there's no reality. You know, that, that, uh, that, that clip you showed from the MSNBC uh, commentator Lawrence O'Donnell yeah, where he, yeah. he actually lays it out. He says, well, this is how much it would cost to... Uh, to put a cop in every, uh, yeah. in, in, in an armed guard in every um, school. And, 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 you know, you have Grover Norquist on your board, so you're not going to approve the tax increases that it's going to take for you guys. And these, it's almost, it's almost, you know, it's, it seems cynical. It mm -hmm. seems like disgustingly cynical for Wayne LaPierre, knowing all this, to sit there and just double down on it. It's like, it's 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 ghoulish is what it is. It really is ghoulish, and it, it and 
you know what? Don't t- don't tell us it's the movies. It's it's that that argument is 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 so old, and it's like you know this 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 um, the blaze of glory meme doesn't come from a movie. It, it comes from other shooters who have done this, mm-hmm. and you know the the coverage that they received, and the you know. You don't get a martyr complex like this from the movies. Like, you know, obviously this kid went in knowing that he was going to die, and that he was probably going to die by his own hand, but before he did that, he was going to kill a lot of people. That's not a movie scenario. That's a lunatic armed gunman in real life scenario, and it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's recycling itself. So, you know, for, for LaPierre to come out, and what, he got on Mortal Kombat, you know, which is a 20-year-old game that has no guns, you know. Yeah. And, you know so there's an element of cynicism and also an element of, 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 of real ignorance that these guys are just falling back on, you know, such old arguments, you know, that, mm-hmm. well, you know, there's no reason for these, there's no reason there's no practical reason for these weapons to exist, and they stand up and say, "God-given right." It's like, wow. Um, yeah. So I, here's what I think, Joe Glenn. I, I didn't want to. As soon as I saw that those films were playing at Sundance, I said to myself right away, "I'm not going to go see those films. I don't want to go into that pit of of acid and bile and ugliness and that that what what where I've been, where I felt that I went into." With the horror of Newtown, I, I don't want to go there anymore. I just yeah, want to yeah, well. stay away from it. I don't want to touch it. Uh, I, I, obviously, it's probably done with great, uh, with good intentions, and and probably um, the, the, both those films are probably point out the, the the horror and the despair and the futility of of of, of, of just gun guns in general. But uh, I don't want to. I don't want to go there. I'll tell you, it, it means something as far as uh, the best picture thing is concerned. People are not are more. Uh, in the wake of that, are and this is relatively soon. We're only talking about a week and a half ago. Uh, they're they're thinking about voting for some f- film that's going to be less uh, less dark and less. They, they don't. It might be uh, it might be uh, hurt Zero Dark Thirty. It might be, but I think they're going to go for something a little lighter. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. And, and again, it's it's a wide open thing. It all depends on yeah. on the zeitgeist and and maybe also on how sick we are of the zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah. You know that we need a break from the zeitgeist, and in that case, your picture has a good chance of getting in there because yeah. it's it it does have it does have an element of of uplift, and it it delivers that element of uplift without seeming to be completely patronizing. Yeah, yeah. So um, that might that might work out, but there's also the vitality of the zero dark thirty debate happening too. So uh, again, it's uh, it's anyone's guess at this point. Mm. Well, I hope at the very least it translates into. Uh, it did do well, you know, this weekend, Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, huge, uh, huge thing. Yeah. Uh, so at least maybe people are intrigued by it. There, you know, it is a market. It's a marketable concept. Yeah. Let's put it yeah. that way. Right. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. So it's so so if you want to have an opinion on it, if you want to have anything to say at the next uh, holiday party, you got to see it. End of story. Exactly, and there are a few holiday parties left. Right. So right. yeah. So, uh, final thing, we'll do this really quickly. Just give me um, your instant responses to the following 2013 Oscar nominees, whether you see, uh, uh, get, whether you're getting an instantaneous uh, adrenaline shot. Uh, so it's going to be like word association. Yeah. Okay. All right. John Wells, August, Osage County. Um, 
interested. I liked what he did with Company Men. Not sure that he has the stuff to do something on that kind of scope, but interested. Yeah, nor nor am I. I. I think it's basically either it works on the page and the actors make it happen, and he gets out of the way and just makes it, arranges it right, but I don't know about him. Maybe it's the kind of piece that doesn't require a, a great director or a strong director. Um, or, 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 or a long, it's a long play. It's yeah. going to need... Yeah. It's gonna need it's going to need a, a pretty sure cinematic yeah. end. Yeah, okay. Alexander Payne's Nebraska, the father-son road movie. Very interested. I hear, is that the one he's shooting in black and white? Yeah, I think so. That's what I read. Wow. Uh, you know, interested. I, yeah. You know, I, I'm a Payne man, and I uh, was not, uh, I was rather, um, right. again, confused by a lot of the hostility that was engendered, uh, the hostile reaction to the descendants. I mean, it's one of those things where, you, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, you probably have the same problem when people react uh, mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in a, what you perceive as a hostile way to silver linings. It's like, what do you want? You know what I mean? I, I, I thought the descendants was really strong in so many respects that mm -hmm. a lot of the complaints were like, what do you really want? So I'm a pain guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce Dern particularly, who hasn't sure, been. Sure, right, Bruce Dern. <clears throat> a nice moment in Django Unchained. I wish he'd been in it longer than Jonah Hill. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I said great. Oh, good. Bruce Dern has something to sink into and make that one scene work, sort of. But uh... yeah, do you notice that so many, it's, it's a sad thing about Tarantino movies, so many of the cameos of the guys mm -hmm. who are from these movies that he's paying homage to, homage to yeah. are so old now that they're no longer recognizable. Yeah. It's like you don't even get the joke anymore because it's like James Remar. You're like, Okay, but he doesn't really register as James Remar because you haven't seen him in so long. Dern, on the other and Django Unchained, he absolutely registered as Bruce Dern, so that was great. Yeah, and I didn't really, I think, honestly, you can't, uh, who know even uh, watches reruns of the Michael Parks, along, is it Along Came Bronson? Along Actually, I did, I did see Michael, uh, Michael Parks I did get right away, but there's okay. a bunch of those guys who I didn't quite get. But yeah, but Bruce Dern, on the other hand, right. totally registered. So yeah, I'd love to see him. In the, I'd love to see somebody make a movie mm -hmm. now yeah. with Jack Nicholson, Peter Fonda, Bruce Dern, and uh, <laughs> Dean Stockwell. I'd love someone to cast them as, 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 as sleazy old men up to something nasty. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that would be great. Now that I would go if see to do an AIP film in the Sam yeah. Arkoff way in the mid 1967 Sam Arkoff way, and that would be a, an ideal Tarantino thing. He could yeah. do that uh, nicely. So sure. anyway, uh, Monuments Men, which I believe uh, George Clooney, because he's uh, into remaking great films, I believe he was inspired by The Train. This is basically another art train movie. Uh, it's about Nazis and art and all that. You know anything about this? Yeah, well, you know, last time last time George Clooney did a World War II type movie, it didn't quite work out for him too well. But the uh, Soderbergh, you mean? No, no, that would be, be the good German. The good German. Um, yeah, yeah. Which I, you know, I saw that again recently, and I, I liked it a lot more. But it it was not a, right. it was not well liked at the time. I I I, I feel like I I almost owe. Mr. Soderbergh, an apology, because I gave it a very middling review, and I think it's better than that. Although well, I don't didn't Clooney get beat up at least twice in that movie by Tobey Maguire or something? Or? Oh, yeah, he, he took a beating, and, yeah. uh, you know, we always like to see George Clooney take a yeah. beating. <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, I, Clooney's a real filmmaker. Let, you know, let's face facts. I mean, whether, you know, Good Night and Good Luck was, I think, uh, I think, I think still his outstanding thing, but, you know... Um, yeah. He's a real filmmaker, and so uh, yeah, this is going to be this is going to be worthwhile. Yeah, sure. Paul Greengrass has done a, a, a pirate movie, a pirate off the coast of Somalia movie called K 
Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks. Yeah, that's going to, you know, you can, and again, it's almost like taking that combination, you can you can almost imagine the film in your imagination, and uh, it'd be kind of intense. The, the wild card here is Hanks, you know, because I think Hanks is an incredibly versatile actor um, who tends to, to get narrow-casted a bit because of who he is, but I don't think that his presence in Cloud Atlas really did work. Um, but he at least tried to break out of being Tom Hanks by doing that. I, I respected yeah. what he's trying to do. So, and then I think between this, uh, the the Greengrass and the playing Walt Disney and the other one, I forget what that's. Yeah, called. well, I, the Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah, I, I look I, that that mm. that film intrigues me. The idea of that film intrigues me, and yeah. the idea of Hanks playing Disney intrigues me. Right. So yeah, right. and I want to see at least one scene where he meets with his cryogenic guy and, and works out the details of. Uh, of being revived at some point. Huh. He, he was cryogenically frozen, right? With the right, idea. right, right, right. <laughs> uh, Marty Scorsese has another moral tale with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. <clears throat> I'm getting really tired. I think that they've done it. They're not going to stop. They're not going to stop. But I, I don't need to see them uh, work again. And I, I thought it was bothersome that DiCaprio dyed his hair black because the original <clears throat> guy uh, depicted in, in, uh, in The Wolf of Wall Street was dark. I, I'm just... <laughs> Was, uh, I, every time they do a pic, every time Scorsese wraps a picture, it's yeah. like the next one. Okay, silence is next, and then silence never happens. Mm. I really wish silence would happen. Whether you know, uh, so, yeah. but the, this is this is the nature of the business, and uh, it's funny that you know, <clears throat> like it or not, uh, and uh, you know, I think for the most part we've 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 gotten good results when the uh, in the Scorsese DiCaprio uh, team yeah. up. I mean. Not with a Hughes film, he didn't. I, I, I didn't. I, I'm, I'm fonder of that than you are, and I think that has a lot of interesting res <coughs> pertaining to Scorsese's own phobias and so on and so forth. Okay. Um, you know, we have to face facts here. You know, none of us are getting any younger, and Scorsese's not getting any younger. And the idea of, of going out uh, and, and and making a Mean Streets type film is just not. Mm -hmm. It's 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 not happening. But you know, if you want to talk I, in terms of taking artistic chances, you know, you complain about Spielberg's complacency. I think that you know, by making a children's film, Scorsese took a real artistic risk there. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, he's doing what he's doing, and this is going to be like a kind of a. Uh, from what I understand of the storyline, it's like, you know, Goodfellas filtered through Michael Lewis's Liar's Poker, you know? Uh -huh. uh, and that could be interesting, and that could be, uh, you know, that could have a lot of vitality to it. But, you know, mm -hmm. he's going, you know, he's going to make these... Mm -hmm. Big ticket films. This is this is what he's going to be doing. It's yeah. not it's not quite like Anthony Mann and Nicholas Ray working for Samuel Bronston, but mm. it is because he is a studio filmmaker now. Yeah. He's got a huge apparatus that right. needs that kind of financial support. Right, exactly. You know, his re the real Scorsese for me is the documentarian. The real Scorsese, the one that moved me the most. <clears throat> I mean, I was delighted with, uh, with the Departed, but the one that moved me the most was Letter to Elia, which I saw. <laughs> you know. And you think that was good? I mean, I, I thought... Letter to Ilya is fantastic. Yeah. You know, I, again, I can't I can't talk about it. You know, Kent Jones is a friend of mine. Kent, Kent is the co-director on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love how Kent, um, you know, the, the both of them, the way that Scorsese addresses the camera and talks 
as if he's talking to Kazan, describes yeah. their relationship. Mm-hmm. It's so beautifully done. I mentioned to Kent about this. I said, you know, you got him to be so, mm. he's so natural and unaffected and direct about the way he talks. Yeah. And Kent's like, yeah, it only took six years. Mm. Um, <laughs> I mean, these movies are work, you know, and they, they really, and I, he put a lot of himself into that, you know. Yeah. The music, documentaries are a great passion project for him mm-hmm. but it's almost like he's the overseeing eye of those and 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 there's a lot of stuff that just sort of falls in his lap that is kind of assembled and he becomes the collator mm-hmm. um letter to elia is something that is something that almost he needed to get off his chest and it has that kind of urgency mm-hmm. to it and that's what makes it wonderful i mean i'll you know mm-hmm. he's a fascinating guy he's um a fascinating artist. He's, you know, I'll watch anything he does, honestly. Um, but those films are, <laughs> when you talk about his personal films, there's a sense in which those are m- maybe more personal. But I mean, I mean, Hugo's a personal film, too, because not just because of the homage to the early days of cinema. You're not going to tell Just because me. of his desire that he wants to make a movie that his 12-year-old kid can watch. You're not going to persuade me. That's a personal me. desire, you know? Sasha Baron Cohen and that Doberman chasing that kid around the train station is not personal Scorsese stuff. No, but I mean, the, the impetus to make it right. is, you know, you want to make a movie, God knows, you know, that's how De Niro talks Scorsese into doing the voice work for Shark Tale, mm-hmm. was, don't you want to make something that your kid can see? And they did that, and that was terrible. <laughs> I'll take you go over that any time, any time. So do you know what, <clears throat> have any idea at all what Jason Reitman's uh, Labor Day is about? I don't know anything about no. it. No. Nothing, okay. I do not. That's like a, a Toronto or a, a fall movie, some sort. Yeah. yeah. I know what, exactly what Inside Lewin Davis is, the Cohen Brothers movie. I think that's going to be <clears throat> a delight, but it's not. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, it does not deliver the, the any kind of turns that you might uh, want to see. It, it, it's very uh, observational. I don't know. It's really just kind of an experience that um, brings you into the climate and the, and the tone and the mood of, uh, of the early 60s, that early folk period. He's not a very compelling character, the, the one played by Isaac uh, Davis. <clears throat> but it certainly is a Coen Brothers movie, no question about that. You come out of it, it's, it doesn't even have, the, say, the payoff of, um, of Barton Fink, you know, at the end. Right. Uh, it's it's all uh, it's it's much lower key and it's like, it's kind of a, a daring film in a way. So I, I'm looking. Well, the thing is, they 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 take they 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 depart from every film that they've made whenever they make a new film, but they also learn from every film that they've made. And what I'm hoping to get out of this is a uh, mm-hmm. not a cross between, but maybe a uh, <coughs> something that something that mixes elements of Barton Fink with elements of a serious man. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Except that I, I have to say. Um, which I loved uh, about that film was the uh, was the, the the theme, if you will, of of uh, utterly indifferent uh, God that didn't uh, that yeah. almost was amused at times when he or she felt like it to to torture people. I mean, to make their lives miserable. Uh, that's what they're basically saying with that opening scene in Eastern in in in, in wherever it was, uh, Eastern Europe somewhere. Yeah, the, the Dibbuk. Yeah, the Dibbuk, you know. God, God is playfully perverse, and if you have been chosen to be the I, the figure of his perversity, you're fucked, man. That's it. You know? Yeah, and of course in their films, they're, the, they're God, you know. Yeah. They, they, they admitted as much when they said, you know, yeah. we're trying to think of new ways to torment this poor guy. <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, there's a, we already talked about saving Mr. Banks. Uh, do you know anything about Bennett Miller's film, Foxcatcher? 
Not a thing. Okay. Very little. I've been spending so much time. I, I, I want to say I think that 2012 was a pretty strong movie year. I, sure. I, I, I had a, a top 25, and yeah. people yeah. are reminding me of things like Killer Joe and stuff like that that, that I need to, you know, uh, certain mm-hmm. th- other things that I need to catch up on. Right. Uh, a move for a year that started so badly, right. um, 2012 turned out to be a very, very strong year in terms of films that uh, yeah. have captured people's imaginations and people are talking about. On the level of 1999, would you say? Maybe, yeah. Maybe? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, and just going down the list, let me see, there's a Ridley Scott film called The Counselor, which I know nothing about. <clears throat> there's a Spike Jones film, anything about this, called Her? No, I don't know much about that at all. Um... Right. Yeah. Again, I, I haven't done I haven't done my homework on in terms of in terms of next year at all. You know, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to become like Anthony Lane. You know, his whole thing is like going into a movie t- completely cold. He won't look at press notes. He won't even. Uh-huh. You know, he wants to know as little as possible about it before going in. I'm I'm not in that uh, I'm not in that uh, league. But I do tend not to look at trailers a lot of the time these days. I, I remember when Moonrise Kingdom was on its way. I deliberately did not look at the trailer, and that actually. Mm-hmm. Found that actually kind of helpful, <laughs> in a way. In terms, I, of I'll tell you, all the years of reading scripts, which I'm I'm less and less interested in doing. <clears throat> there's only one time, one time when the script that I read that I kind of, I definitely liked was turned out to be a better movie than I anticipated based on my own imagining, my own directing of the film as I watched it. <clears throat> That's uh, Wes Anderson's uh, Rushmore, which I read a year and a half or something before they actually made it, and it was a yeah. better film than what I anticipated it would be based on having really liked the script. I just thought, thought it was, you know, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was, so it was much better. Most of the time, the movie I direct when I read a script is always a little less inter- interesting. I, I like it less than what I expected. So it kind of poisons the well to read a script. I know that. Uh, I, I, you know, <coughs> it, it, it can do that. I mean, you know, I, I don't read scripts very, very frequently. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I do, um, it's, it's, it's sometimes when somebody will specifically ask me to, right. or if I'm trying to write something in that area myself, yeah. it's always, you know, for formatting. But yeah, I, I, I'm just trying to go in cold. I know that it mm-hmm. certainly worked well for me with the master, mm-hmm. not know, you know, I mean, it was, it was, but, this, you know, the, but again, that's one of those movies that it's almost impossible not to know something about before going in because it does become a topic. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the Spike, yeah, again, I don't know much about the Spike Jones picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and Steve McQueen has a, a thing with Chiman Hansu called Twelve Years a Slave." I don't know what uh, that's about. A that's a historical piece. I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, there's a thing called Malavita from Luc Besson. Why he's he's for every time you hear from him, he says, "I'm quitting films. I'm going to be a producer." But this is uh, De Niro, Michelle Pfeiffer, Tommy Lee Jones, um, uh, Diana Agron. Um, I don't. You know, it's a uh, darkly comedic action film. He says. Oh, uh, who is this again? Uh, Luc Besson. Oh, Luc Besson. Yeah. Well, he. Yeah. yeah. He's he's been mostly doing uh, producing for a yeah. long time. So uh, yeah. to uh, you know, I, uh, he, he's a really talented guy who kind of lost me. I remember when I was first at Premiere and I went out. Mm-hmm. to watch him editing The Fifth Element, which I thought was a really interesting movie, and I thought it was going to fall flat on its face because I just thought it was too mm-hmm. weird and funny and bizarre yeah. to do well. And I was very glad when it did do well, even though I, I look at it now and I see it as, as as relatively overblown. It was overblown in a way that I thought was really uh 
interesting. And uh, it was a it was quite a thing. I mean, that was a huge budget, and they had him out on the Pacific Coast Highway in this big house in Malibu, and they chipped all his band dessiné out there, you know, and he had this editing room, and, and it, was, it was like, wow, you know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you ever, you know, entertained ideas of becoming a studio director, yeah. you know, this was like, what a life, you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like, uh, I mean, I'm sure he felt like the, yeah. you know, the hound dog, the hound, hellhounds on his trail in terms of deadlines, mm-hmm. but in terms of keeping him comfortable <laughs> in right. this situation, there was really nothing else for it. Mm-hmm. But I thought the film was a really ambitious kind of uh, new way of doing a sort of pop culture science fiction type of picture that he never really followed up on. Um, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, to, to turn around and try and do the same thing with a period piece of the Joan of Arc film was a really bad mistake. And then, you know, he's he's become this sort of patron to any number of, of Euro, of, of Euro hack action directors whose output is, you know, kind of uh, very variable in terms of uh, being tolerable. So I have no idea what, what the hell he's going to pull out of his uh, bag here. Who's the um, who's the worst Eurohack action director? I think it's, uh, what's his name, who did Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer? Yeah, that was the Russian guy. Russian. Uh, yeah. And, and Yeah, that that was very, very badly done. That was yeah. the guy who did Night Watch. And, and, yeah. and just, I just don't understand. I didn't understand that movie one single bit. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I understood it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't understand why it was yeah. released. Uh, yeah, Timur uh, Bekhambetov. Uh, Bek- yeah. Right, right. So uh, because uh, there's a new trailer for The Place Beyond the Pines, I'll wrap this up. <clears throat> I reposted the, the, the piece that I ran in uh, during the Toronto Film Festival, and I <clears throat> said uh, I, what I always thought to be a fairly common <clears throat> truism, which is that uh, uh, it's just a natural thing that, uh, that beauty always migrates out of the hinterlands and goes toward, towards where the, where the power, where the security, where the big money is. So it's relatively... Uh, uh, it's not unheard of, obviously it's not unheard of, but it's uh, relatively rare, and I, my, my, my impression was that Eva Mendes, who's a, a world-class beauty, and, and Rose Byrne, another uh, Vogue magazine-ish uh, uh, um, beautiful woman, they're just too hot, I said, to, to live in Schenectady. You know, they're, they're not, uh, they're not uh, you know, they don't look uh, the way most people, most attractive, I'm not saying unattractive, but they're too hot to live in Schenectady. <clears throat> and since I hey, but this is not a John. This is not a. This is not. This is not Frederick Weissman here. I mean, the whole Hollywood system is based on on stories of people who are too hot to live, living all. You know, Claudette Colbert and Frederick Murray in, in Connecticut suburbs in uh, Remember the Night. I mean, yeah, I get, oh, I you guys all over the place. I mean, because of the. I think the thing is because of '70s movie making, yeah. and because of guys like De Niro and mm-hmm. Pacino, who at the time they became famous, right. were criticized for not being good looking enough. Enough, by the mm-hmm. way, even though by today's standards they are, you know, yeah. movie stars with movie star looks, yeah. I think I think you've become, you know, you've become accustomed to a brand of realism, and it's quite possible that Chan France does not adhere to that in his casting here. I don't know too much about the movie. I was not nearly as impressed with Blue Valentine as a lot of other people were. Mm-hmm. I think there's a mode of, of realistic filmmaking that becomes kind of strained in, in trying to show off how much integrity it has, mm-hmm. and I think that's a perfect example of it. Right. Um, I don't know what he's up to in this, and it doesn't sound... Um, 
it sounds it, it, it sounds like another opportunity to be strained. But you know, actors who are as attractive as Eva Mendes and Rose Byrne, they love this kind of stuff because it's like. Um, Give them awesome it's, it's, it's almost like a little bit of an integrity test for them yeah. in terms of their ability to, to, to be real. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a whole bunch of fallacies, um, you know, that we, can, that we can explore without getting into the actuarial realities of it. And, uh, you, know, I don't think any, you know, I don't think anybody's going to make a movie with the female stars who, you know, Female stars who are attractive, and uh, you get you get a movie and you make it, you know, and if you keep it to par with the mean of female attractiveness in Schenectady, Jeff, mm-hmm. you're just not going to get financing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I had a I have a friend who's a director who is trying to get a film done and was talking to some Russian financers, and the first thing they want to say to him is like, we have Scarlett Johansson in movie, yes? <laughs> you know? And that's what you're dealing with. So, Ch- Chan France is not, you know, whether or not I like his films, we got to say he is not a mainstream guy who's going to get studio financing. So, you know, he's probably looking at a scenario where he's got this Schenectady set story, and maybe he's got a Russian financer saying, we get Eva Mendes for this movie, you know? Yeah. So you, may, you do what you have to do, as, as Michael Powell said, as Martin Scorsese said, you get that shot or it's suicide. So um, let's look at the picture. <laughs> and the uh, and picture the, looks like when we get to it. Although, like you said, it doesn't look particularly promising from, from our perspective. That one line about too hot for Schenectady got me into the Albany Times and, a, and a, uh, the uh, Schenectady newspaper also. Well, of course it did. <laughs> and I, uh, a woman just wrote me, whose actual email, by the way, is XO Dance Cutie XO21. Oh, boy. All right. Who's Not touching that one. Uh, but her name is Megan. <clears throat> I read your review about the people in Schenectady, and I'm just wondering where you get off saying who's ugly, because if you haven't looked in the mirror, you are a truly ugly and disturbing person to look at. You look like you came out of the hills have eyes. You're welcome. With a little smile. This is is a short film, Jeffrey. This is (laughs) trying to score in Schenectady. 20 minutes. We can do it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, this is a good one. Um, Great. uh, uh, We we covered a lot of ground, and uh, thank you particularly uh, for um, instilling in my mind the idea of if they were cool with... uh, the, the, they're all cool with Battle of Algiers, but not cool with Zero Dark Thirty. I'm going to try and work. They haven't even said it. I mean, they won't even say it because they, you know, I don't know why they won't say it. Maybe they haven't seen Battle of Algiers. They don't sound like cinephiles to me, but I would think that as people of conscience with a concern about torture being depicted in motion pictures, they will have seen Battle of Algiers. Yeah. And let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to find, and you say it's not an Esquire, the Carson thing, it's, but it's in... It's at the American Prospect. American Prospect, okay, yeah. very good. All right, thanks, Glenn. Uh, Take and we'll, care. I'll put this up later. Bye. You bet. So long. Yeah.